Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Mark 3. Let's talk about family. Family is a pretty important thing in this world and to many people. In fact, I think God's Word gives us some clear teaching on what family should look like. And when we follow God's Word, we can see a lot of blessings in family from that. However, the Bible also says that following Jesus may cause some problems in your family. And today, we'll even see an example of that with Jesus and His own family. Well, we'll get to that towards the end of the chapter, but let's start in the beginning as we continue this discussion between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees about the Sabbath. We saw yesterday in Mark 2, this idea of the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and how they had turned the Sabbath into something that it wasn't supposed to be. We'll see more of that today because he goes into a synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand hand. And look how sick they've become. They are watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. That shows you where their priorities are. Their priorities are on their power and on themselves. They don't care about God's law. They don't care about people. And Jesus, he says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. So they had again turned the Sabbath into something it was not meant to be because it was not meant to be something that that prohibited doing good. That was not the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was rest, resting from your labors. Doing good to somebody in need was not meant to be prohibited. And Jesus shows them that. And look how they respond. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Yikes. Even the Pharisees and the Herodians. That's a strange pairing. These people did not normally get along, but now they're getting along because they all hate Jesus. Uh, That should be a big red flag. And you see the Pharisees, they don't love the law. They don't love the Savior. They love themselves and their own position and their own power. And Jesus is rebuking them for their misuse of God's law. And then we see Jesus doing a great ministry and crowd is following him from all over. It gives us the names of all kinds of different regions in the area there in verses seven and eight. And they're coming and Jesus has to get out on the boat, uh, kind of out off the shore. So he doesn't get crushed by the crowd and he is healing many and again, casting out unclean spirits and ordering them not to make him known. There's a lot of ministry for him to do. And so to help Help him with that ministry. He calls the 12 disciples, or here it calls them the apostles. 
And notice one thing here in Mark chapter 3. He says he called them the apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So that's the idea here. Hey, come be with me, learn from me, and then I will send you out to teach. And this is really where we get the idea of discipleship from. And we've seen in Matthew 28, the mission of the church is to make disciples. And this idea of discipleship comes from this idea of, hey, come be with me and let me invest in you so that you can go out and minister. And this is the picture that we see here with Jesus and the 12 apostles. Now, there's some things to think about there. What Jesus shows in his investing into the disciples is something that he wants to be replicated through them and really down through the ages in the church. So, are you involved in the process of discipleship? And I'm not trying to uh, put out an overly narrow definition of that word, that discipleship, sometimes we think of discipleship in a one-on-one setting, and and that is one way we see discipleship happen, but but it's not the only way. Let's think of it more generally of the process of, hey, I want to invest in others so that they can go out and do ministry. And so really that's probably two-sided. Are you seeking to learn from others so that you might then go out and be more effective for Christ? And are you seeking to invest in others? Think about that today. Maybe even spend some time. Hey, who do I really want to be learning from? And maybe that's a pastor at your church or a small group leader or an older, for you women, an older woman in the church or a more mature, even if they're the same age as you woman in the church, that even if it's not a super formal thing, hey, I want to learn from them and I want to do ministry with them so that I might learn and go out and do ministry myself. So we want to uh, look at Jesus's pattern here and realize there's a lot of ways that that's going to apply today. This idea of, hey, draw someone close, invest in them so that they can do more ministry. That is not just something that Jesus did and was meant to end with him. Clearly, that is meant to be a pattern for the church now down through history. So are you involved in the process of discipleship, both in seeking to be discipled and then seeking to invest in others? And that is all uh, going to help the health of the church. Uh, So we see that there from the example of Jesus. Now, what we saw in Matthew and see again here in Mark, this idea of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And again, the shocking thing here is that the scribes are seeing these clearly divine things and they are attributing them to Satan. And that is really what Jesus is condemning here, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, to see such a clear demonstration of the Spirit, a demonstration that has never before and never since been equaled as it was through Jesus Christ himself. Um, And they are rejecting that. And again, as I read through this and we think about this idea of an unforgivable sin, one thing that, that comes up is people will be scared, have I committed the unforgivable sin? 
And if you are repentant and seeking Christ, I think it's clear you have not. And even as I've been reading this again, it seems like not only is this an unforgivable sin, it's an unrepentable sin. It says, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Right? This is a sin that's not going to stop. If you can really see this work of Christ and attribute it to the devil. And again, that again makes me lean more towards, I think this was something unique even to the time of Christ in this unique age where God in the flesh is doing these things and people are attributing it to Satan. Uh, What a wicked thing that was happening there. And that's really the main point of what Jesus is saying. Now we come to this idea of family. As he appoints the disciples back in verse 20, it says he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. So as Jesus does the the ministry that his father has entrusted to him, his family saying he's crazy. And this is something I know for a fact still happens today because I've seen people seek to faithfully serve the church and they've got family and relatives who are look at them seeking to spend so much of their time serving the church and they say, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. And it comes down to the end of the chapter in verse 31. It says, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And based on what we saw earlier in the chapter, they're seeking him to seize him because they think he's crazy. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so there we see Jesus dealing with that conflict, even with his family, and they're thinking he is crazy. And what Jesus does is he elevates the importance of our spiritual family. Now, again, that does not mean that we should not care about human relations. No, husbands are called to love their wives. Parents are called to invest in their children. Children are called to honor their fathers and mothers. And following Christ doesn't exempt you from any of those commands. But especially if you are saved and following Christ and you have unsaved relatives, they may look at you and say, you're crazy. Ah, But that's something that Jesus warned us would happen. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus elevates the importance of our spiritual families. And that's where family is an important thing. But I think it's very possible, especially in today's society, for the family to be something that is idolized. And many people maybe don't serve Christ like they could because of some family reason. And that's where Jesus would remind all of us, the church is is your family. Those who are following Christ, those who are doing the will of God, these are your your sisters and your mothers and your brothers. And so what we need to make sure we view family the way Christ would have us view family and that we fulfill what he commands us to do with our human physical families and that we also seek to serve our spiritual family the way Christ taught us to. So a lot to think about here from Mark chapter 3. And so a couple things I would just 
encourage you to chew on as we leave is, are you being discipled and are you seeking to disciple others? And then also, are are you looking around, especially think through your church and saying, these are my brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. I care about these people. And if there's even human relations that think I'm crazy for how much I care about these other people, so be it. That is what Jesus modeled for me. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.